0: Entertainment.
1: With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select.
2: You're listening to the Journey to the Draft Podcast.
3: Welcome to the Journey to the Draft Podcast, presented by Life Friend. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and it's time to get you ready for week nine in college football, and I've got four people. Here on today's show to help me do exactly that. We're going to start things off with Mr. Relevant where Nate Tice is going to drop by to give us some of his evaluations on this quarterback class on some wide receivers, the rest of the offensive skill. They've done a new uh, big board over at Bleacher Report. Nate's a big part of that worrying about the offensive side of the football. So we'll talk a little bit about that process and some of his evaluations on the top players in this class in Mr. Relevant. After that, we're going to stick on the offensive side of the football for scouting report where Eric Galco from the Shrine Bowl is going to stop by to break down a sleeper at that position for the second straight week, a guy that you could keep an eye on for day two of next spring's NFL draft. After that, we've got Saturday scouting. We're going to start our look ahead to week nine with Ben Fennel. We're talking matchups, players who can help themselves the most, and a look back at that Bleacher Report big board that I talked about earlier with Nate Tice. We're going to get into that with Ben in that segment. Then we'll wrap things up with Ross Tucker in pick six. Six more games for this weekend. Ross was able to strike gold with his upset special last week. We'll see if he can follow that up with another big week here this weekend that said before we get going with the show just a quick reminder make sure you jump on to apple Podcasts or stitcher leave us a rating leave us a comment if you've got questions if you've got mock drafts send them our way over on our apple podcast page it's the best way to reach us and for us to hit you back so Make sure you go on to Apple Podcasts. Leave us your question right over in the comment box, and it's a great way to help us throw your throw us your support. Really appreciate everybody that has done that lately. That said, let's get into my conversation with Nate Tice. Top of the show, it's time for Mister Relevant.
2: It's time for Mister Relevant.
3: We're well, really excited to start the show this week here with Mr. Relevant as I welcome in Nate Tice back to the show. Uh, Nate does an outstanding job over at the Athletic Football Show with, with Robert Mays every single week. Make sure you go check out that podcast. But here today, we're going to talk about his work with Bleacher Report. They just dropped the new Bleacher Report 100, a new big board that came out. And uh, Nate, first of all, welcome back to the show. And second, I want to ask you just about the process uh, of putting this together because uh, the whole group of you guys, really just kind of getting together. each of you specialize in a couple positions here and then it's like all right let's spit this bad boy out as a a top 100 i'm interested to kind of get a little bit of a sense into the process
4: yeah well first off thanks for having me on it's it's kind of fun it's like all right if we we do this pre-draft and now we do it mid-season it's like okay this is like the beginning of this process and the last time it was almost the end of the process so this is good no uh, i i really like how we do that bleacher report we were just talking on the pre-show it's just i in a scouting department You'll have your your area scouts, your national scouts, your regional scouts, et cetera, et cetera. And then usually at the end of the year, most teams, at least the ones I was with, will do a positional scouting where one of those area scouts will then cross-check all the running backs, all the receivers. And I think that's how we're doing it at Bleacher Report. I really like it. I'm able to focus on certain guys, certain positional groups, literally, but also doing that, you kind of get a better feel. Um, and also at least some more fun discussions, like when we're all together, cause we truly, it's not like all four of us have watched the exact same guys. And we're like, Oh, this guy, I like, I had him as a seven one. I have him as a seven. it's more like, how do you like this 7.5 center over this 7.5 receiver? And that leads to the discussion, sure. and which is the, which, as you know, is some of the most fun stuff. It's like, yeah. well, this court, well, it's a quarterback. He's obviously the highest positional guy. Well, he's not the best quarterback. Okay, so do we okay. And then that leads to that stuff. And, and guys have to fight for their guy or go like, I don't really like him. I just respect the grade. Da, 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 da. But I think that always leads to the best discussion. Just like we were talking a few months ago. It's like sometimes when disagreement leads to the best discussion because you have to actually like, why do you like this guy? Or yep. why do you hate this guy? Or is it just vibes? <laughs> right, right <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, but that's what too, like
3: getting a, a little bit of a peek into that process, I think it's important for fans because, you know, these reports will start coming out. We're, you know, yeah. we're a couple months away now where In it's there. like, yeah. oh, you know, Team X, or, or uh, one team has Desmond Ritter is QB one. And then there's the outrage and another team. Oh, well, one team's got Carson Strong as QB one. And then there's more outrage. And it's like, oh, another team has Kenny Pickett QB one. All right. Let the outrage continue. But it's when you have those kinds of processes, those kinds of discussions, there's going to be some variance in terms of how people, how teams view all these players. And it doesn't mean that everybody in the building agrees with that ranking and way that they're stacked. But that's the collective output from those discussions.
4: Yeah. It, it's like a majority opinion. Sometimes it's great when it's like last year where it's like, oh yeah, Kyle Pitts, he's the best tight end, right guys? And everyone <laughs> just goes, yep. <laughs> and it's like, yep. And, number two. It <laughs> yeah, what's, all right. and then the number two discussion becomes a whole thing. And sometimes just how it works. But like you say, it, it's in a building and that's why process in a building matters so much and voices in the building matter so much is that it, it's whose do you weigh? Like, mm-hmm. is it is it the guy that's the authority figure hates a guy, but everybody else loves him? Okay, what's the discussion like? Does yep. he eat it and go, well, you know, I'm going to trust you guys. I might not take him in the second, but maybe if he's there in the third. Or does he just go, screw you guys. Like, no, <laughs> I'm the boss. Like, that happens. <laughs> uh, but also, it's on the flip side. It's like, maybe it's, like, like I say, I always just thought when it's almost like a two-on-two battle, with in scout scouting rooms about a guy and you get into just that full on did you watch this game yes oh i thought he was good there his accuracy was good there oh really man i thought you know he was off when he had a clean pocket and it's just like the details, because it, it's you can be a know-it-all like I try to be, <laughs> and, and and but you hear how someone else presents something, you it can trigger something in your brain, and I just I love that human element with scouting, and that's like you said, it's like it's 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 hard to like really get like a one two three four five where everyone's like, yep, this is good, this yeah. is good, we're all one two three four five, but that's scouting,
3: <laughs> that's and your So the, your... there are voices in the room that are going to carry more weight, or that just that, that some yes. guys are just really good at being able to sell their yes. point. I got to think too that if you're someone that maybe, hey, look, I know I'm not going to bring my A game to an argument every single time. So I have to pick my spots. I'm not going to fight for this yes. player, but I know that I've got this offensive guard that I'm going to fight for next week. Yes. I'm going to save my argument for that.
4: Yes, that's exactly it. You're like, you can't fight for every guy. But right. everyone goes, all right, dude, like, stop being so sensitive. <laughs> you, you know, like that comes in play too. But right. yeah, you pick and choose. You're like, man, this third rounder. I really like, you know, I'm a little scared to give him a higher grade, but I'm going to fight for him when we talk about him. And yeah, that leads to the fun stuff. It's it's uh I, I just love to last year. You kind of pointed it out a little bit. was it's, it's you get into a consensus, even online, especially. And people are like, oh, well, that's QB one. That's QB one. That's your yeah. super one. That's your super one. And then as soon as someone does something different, everyone just goes, well, you're wrong and it's like it's yep. <laughs> that that cracks me up to no end. It's like there's no wrong or right here. These are all just bets. That's all it is. It's just it's just wagering on what you feel on this guy. And like you said some guys are better at others. Like I wouldn't trust myself. I mean some extent like i'm i'm still trying to work on corners like i i every every month every i'm trying to work on like but i think everybody struggles trying to find (laughs) corners that, that are playable but it's that's the thing is some positions i have a lot more faith i trust myself with running backs and receivers more than other positions um but it's it's just how that works and i and like you said sometimes in the building you might get some old scout that's just up Defensive tackle guru, and you're just like, Yep, trust this guy. Or the 49ers, I'll bring up even the name, Bobby Turner with running backs. Mm-hmm. Like he he is the running back coach there, a longtime coach. It's like he sees things with these zone guys. He was the guy that they they will openly say he found them Alfred Morris. He loved Tevin Coleman. Um, like those types of guys. He he just has a good feel for him. But certain guys just have their 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 fastball.
3: Yep. And every team knows, every every fan base, I should say, knows who that, who some of those guys are in their own building. The Eagles fans yeah. are very well aware. Jeff Stoutland and the impact that he's got uh, in that offensive line room and being able yes. to start, find talent everywhere. Uh, he's sure. a type too. Yeah, no question, no question. <laughs> uh, and two guys hands. with unique skill sets uh, for sure stand out. Yes. So yes, uh, exactly. that said, let's get into this group. And I, I want to talk to you about the quarterback class because obviously oh big point of discussion. Uh, you guys had six that ended up in the top 100. I'm not sure how many you ended up watching for the course of this process but I want to ask you first off the top who impressed you
4: the most and why oh man it is a weak class and I hate to be negative right off the bat but I I was pleasantly surprised how much I like Desmond Ritter and that he ended up my QB1 and my grade on him and our system of bleacher report it's like a it's a late first early second grade um I think a good way to compare it is that he's maybe a point one behind Mac Jones, which tells you something a little bit about this QB class. Um, But with, with, with Ritter, I, first off his competitiveness shines through and his toughness and the whole intangible stuff. And he's an obvious good athlete with obvious, good height Um, I still he still needs to fill out that's an obvious thing if you just watch someone that's never watched football can go yeah he's skinny Uh, but he you know obviously has to get bigger But he's a true plus athlete I think for me now what I watch these quarterbacks because I uh, being an athlete is such a necessity now I mean it just is it's you have to be able to at least scramble for 18, 8 to 10 yards of the opportunities there without getting caught from behind. like I think that's a requirement. It's like, are you faster than Dak or are you slower than Dak? I think that's the cutoff now right. <laughs> for yep. quarterbacks in the NFL. Dak post-surgery, I should say. Um, but Ritter, is he's a plus athlete. I, lo- I like the arm strength. When he throws on time, the accuracy is good, but that is where I'm going to lead to my negatives with him. I think his accuracy is hit and miss, literally yep. and figuratively. Sure. That's it the comes- question, yeah. Yep, he'll go two quarters where he looks like a god, and then he'll have a quarter where it's like, he can't even throw a spiral. Like, he'll he'll throw a bubble, and it's just fluttering out there. My theory on it, because it's always in the second half that he improves, my theory is that maybe he's too amped up. Um, this is something I've come to realize more that can happen to a quarterback um, getting around a younger Derek Carr. Derek Carr was like this when he was real young, was that he was so amped up in the first quarter. He would squeeze the ball so tight that he couldn't th- even throw a spiral, like in warm-ups. And he would be like breaking guys' fingers. And it was like, dude, whew. <laughs> just take a breath like right. we're gonna get e- ease into it it's gonna be amped up it's gonna to be tough and feeling that but you're the quarterback like you you gotta yeah you have a little finesse to your game and I, that's a theory of mine I have no idea if that holds up but it's like I have seen that with quarterbacks as the game goes on um, but I I just like all those intangible things with them you cannot look over the fact that they're winning and, and usually when you get some mid-major um, growing and winning in the top five top ten it's like okay there's got to be some good players on this team for obvious reasons. You you can only be like, you know, the glue that holds everything together for so much. It's like, it honestly has to have some star talent on there. So you got to look at the quarterback play. And I think he's a part of it. I, I really do. It, it's, he's a guy that I'm betting on his growth. And with this quarterback class, it's so hard for it to tab any of these guys as a first rounder to me. Um, that he'd be the only one to take a chance on. And that's in the second half of the first round. That's like past pick 20. <laughs> um, because I just think he's the only one I could see a trajectory of being a real usable uh, quarterback in the NFL just because of the things he can do.
3: So if you talk about how he's got those traits, and a guy that also has really impressive physical traits is about the consistency is Malik Willis from Liberty, and he's your QB four uh, from this list. What did you see from Willis, and what scared you enough to drop him down to uh, QB four in your rank?
4: A fun, fun, fun player. I mean, ridiculous athlete, ridiculous arm strength. Um, I think they've simplified that offense to as simple as you can make it for a college quarterback. It's a ton of half-field reads, sprint outs. It's there's not no one, two, three on any of those progressions. It's one to two or really for him. It's one to scramble and that's fine at the college level. It's it's a can or won't kind of thing. Like uh, when you watch Trevor Lawrence last year in the Clemson offense, that can be some half field read one, maybe two to scramble Trevor Lawrence. though, would show progress or progression with his eyes and actually do the one to two and throw it. And it was like, okay, that's why I was as negative on him with Malik. It's truly just one go. And he is a ridiculous athlete. So, I mean, so much fun to watch. He really is. But that's the thing. It's like, where is that upside? Where is that stop? Is the growth there? Is this just like everyone thinks it's the disco stew meme or it's just like, oh, he's going to improve like forever. <laughs> but they, that's what they think sometimes. It's like, well, where is the cap? It's like, yeah, he's going to get better, obviously, but it's not a lot of uh, it's. but it's just. I don't see the eyes there on the plays that do require progression that I would want to see from a guy that's a, a senior. I mean, if he was a redshirt sophomore doing this, just transferred to Liberty. Okay. 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 They, you know, there's room for growth there, but the fact that now he has reps and now he's in the system and now all that stuff, that's what my main concern is. But my grade right now, I have a middle second, late second on him. I think that I'm, probably going to hold steady on that unless the second half of the year film really shows him progressing and doing more of the stuff i want to see interviews are going to be so huge All, court- i mean every guy but sure. quarterbacks especially but him especially it's like it's a can or won't thing it's like do they not want you to progress or is it do you struggle seeing those types of things because you can sure. see what happens when a quarterback can't progress over the middle of the field <laughs> um it's kind of happening in philly right now
3: right I, I guess the interesting thing when looking at those two guys in particular, because of the traits, because of the athleticism and you see some of these other young guys that have come into the league and have had success. And then the other guys that have been drafted highly that didn't have success. Yeah. You now there's always extenuating factors with, for the latter, right? But yes. uh, so, you know, without getting into the nitty gritty there, <laughs> but I think when, when looking at some of these guys, whether it's, uh, the Justin Herberts, the Lamar Jacksons, the Josh Allens, like those guys all had some kind of holes in their game. The Kyler Murrays, they had some holes in their game. But it's like, man, like they they had that superpower, that ability to create. And so when I yeah. look at you, like I've got questions when I watch Ritter, there are questions when watching Malik Willis and some of these other guys as well that we'll talk about. But with that ability, like do they have that ability to overcome that? And will they put be put in position to overcome that uh, once they get to the NFL? That's, what, that's why I get hung up on those two guys in particular for sure.
4: Yeah, and that's what it is. It's, I can't believe it because my, for years and years and years and years, for me, a quarterback play, it's like, how can you dice guys up from the pocket? Sure. That yep. is always going to be what quarterback play is. This league now is just so fast, and the pressures that these defenses are bringing, and how fast these defen- defenders are, what guys are bringing the pressures. It's not just a bunch of big D tackles coming now, it's linebackers and safeties and 240 pound edge players that can run. And they can keep up with quarterbacks. It's not you can't just you can't just be an okay athlete scrambling and breaking contain. <clears throat> Excuse me. And a lot of these quarterbacks is now it's when do you choose to use your legs? It's almost like intelligently using your legs has become the biggest trait. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't you don't want a guy to use his legs always, but the, having that option, having that tool in the box, really. Justin Herbert's the best example. Yeah. You watch him scramble. It's just like we—it's—you it, forget how fast he is because he just like he—he he never does it. But when he does, you're like, oh yeah, that's right. You just want to be able to have that tool. You don't want to just go, oh man, we're dead in the water if he—if they run two man against us and he can't find the throw, he can't scramble because the line just sack him. There's a quarterback I'm sure we'll talk about in this class that—that's one of my concerns with Carson Strong. Yep, that's one of my big concerns with him. Is as much as I love the player, and I trust me, if this was 15 years ago, I'd be like, man that's the guy dude. Yep. that's the dude right there but it's like he can't run out of his own shadow and that's scary <laughs> it really yeah. is it's it's and when you watch this league and watching especially if you're going to be a quarterback going on a battle line you, you got you got to be able to, you got to be able to move off platform throwing off platform throwing in a sloppy pocket breaking contain beating a dn when he's he's got got you dead to rights it, it just matters so much now
3: And that's why I look at Malik and I'm like, all right, well, like if you squint, you could see like a guy that's probably gonna win the MVP but you know, on track to win the MVP this year and Kyler, and you know, I'm not making that that direct apples to apples comparison, but it's like some of those same kinds of things in terms of like the shorter build, the dynamic athleticism, that rocket for an arm. uh, But the the one big difference, Kyler was a redshirt sophomore coming out. Uh, Malik will be a a redshirt senior, as you alluded to. So it's a little bit different. Um, Certainly, I mean, Malik hasn't played a ton of ball uh, from uh, a starter, so that, that plays into it as well. But one other guy I want to ask you about as well, Matt Corral, who he's also getting it done with his legs in the sec uh, huge jump from a year ago where uh, he threw I think it was nine picks over a two-game stretch uh, against Arkansas at LSU a year ago uh, those have gone by the wayside he's playing maybe some of the steadiest ball of some of these guys Interesting to get your thoughts on, on Matt Corral
4: that is your last sentence is exactly it his watching him last year because I watched Elijah Moore and and Loved Elijah Moore, and I actually was yep. frustrated with the quarterback. I was like, because <laughs> he'll miss him sometimes. I'm like, what are you doing? And I was I was surprised with how accurate he was this year. Like he has actually improved his accuracy, and I'm I'm a big big believer. And I always thought this with Josh Allen too is that accuracy comes with mental. Growth and yep. footwork growth, as opposed to anything with your arm, and so obviously I think the mental growth has helped. And now he can anticipate things and, and actually throw guys open as opposed to waiting. My huge concern with him, and this has already cropped up, is his size. Is sure. I, he's listed what two oh five? So he's probably one ninety five. I mean, give or take. And he looks like that, and he's toughish. Like I mean, he's really tough. Like yep. it's it's kind of cool. Like see the skinny guy like trying to lower his shoulder on a guy. I'm like yo, good for you, man. Um, but his growth has been cool. My, my big, and you're going to hear me reiterate this a lot, and that's why interviews with these guys are so important, again, is, is a lot of his reads are kind of one and done. Yeah. I, I know in a Lane Kiffin offense, Lane Kiffin is very designery every week, week in, week out. He has 40 new plays where he's just, he, he's he throws in on Thursday too, late in the week. He's staying up all night, dialing up these plays, especially last year's film and a bit this year, is you can tell that Lane has told him you are looking at the X here. And then and then when Corral doesn't see that come open, then he scrambles, which is fine. He has the ability to create, which we've already harped on, that that's such an important thing. Now, the negatives with him for me is size. And can he actually progress? Or is that just Lane Kiffin in his ear or before going like, hey, stare at this and throw it. Yeah, again, interviews matters with this. But his growth has really, it really did surprise me. When I saw him starting to get hype, I was like, Ole Miss guy, I watched him last year. No <laughs> way, and and he actually ended up my QB too. I, uh, I I I'm gonna be honest. He'll probably end up dropping just a little bit on my grades, but yeah, I I I liked him more than I thought I would. He's a good athlete. He's tough. The accuracy is surprising. He's got plenty of arm strength. He can make the throws, and it's just. Size and whether he actually is a progressive quarterback, and that, that's really the negatives on
3: him. You talk about the the designer plays. There's a reason why when Lane Kiffin chucks that play, uh, that play sheet yep. like 30 yards into the air, that that play sheet yep. hits the ground before the ball's caught because he's like he sees it just as quickly as the quarterback. Is yep. it. Uh, so uh, it's like
4: it's him dialing up plays of Madden. I mean, that when you <laughs> have a good play in Madden, you're like, yeah, that's Lane Kiffin doing it literally on the sideline. <laughs> uh,
3: so, uh, another guy who is really kind of uh you know become more widely accepted as one of the top quarterbacks in this class Kenny Pickett from Pitt uh interesting yeah, to get your there. thoughts on, on Pickett and how much work you had done before this season as well if you had noticed any growth there
4: yeah oh my god he wasn't on my radar like he was but he wasn't it was like I, I just kind of inadvertently watched Pitt a lot just You're a guy. yeah yeah. yeah yeah GA there and I kind of like it's just keep tabs like it's my secondary team I don't know how Pitt ends up as my second. I mean, it's just so funny. I'm a Mariners, Mariners fan, a Timberwolves fan, and it's like, yeah, let's just get Pitt in there too. Like, let's <laughs> let's, let's throw some more heartbreak in there. Um, no, but man, he is a fun player. Yeah, he is. I man, I, I I struggle with him a little bit because the small hands is really gonna bug me. Um, Kenny two gloves, like yep. it's. That's fine though. I mean, like, it's Teddy Bridgewater's done it. Kurt Warner did it at the end of his career. Peyton yep. Manning was wearing gloves. So I've, I've, that stigma doesn't stick with me as much. The small hands does. To me, it truly is. And it, he's already gotten the comparison a little bit. He truly is like a Diet Coke Joe Burrow. He is. My like, right exactly who I wrote down. Yep. I can't, and I hate just doing that right no. away. Like, I know. It, it's exactly what he is. It, it's, it's funny. He's a Diet Coke Joe Burrow. So, How do you grade that (laughs) is like, I think he is uh, my negative. I'll go with the negatives first is that I think he is capped out. Like, I think this is what you get as him in the NFL. Now, what does that bring you? If you're a team that needs stars and needs, needs stuff, probably not a guy you want to go for, but maybe you have a good crop of guys, the Broncos, you know, and then you're like, man, we just need competent quarterback play that can get us maybe create a little bit. Like that's a guy that like you look at. Um, I just, I I have him. I think I him up my QB three, and I I, I think that's a middle second round grade for me. That's kind of where I'll probably end up with him. Okay. But I mean, a guy that I came in about to watch, and I was like, I, I came in as like a little bit of a hater. Uh, I won't I won't lie. I'm like, oh, he's all probably right. just he's got all the time in the world. He's the receivers are doing stuff, but it's like no, his eyes are great. He's throwing off platform. He's he's got good accuracy at all three levels. He's throwing out time, but then when he's not throwing out time, he's creating off. Like like be able to move in the pocket and throw sidearm, like do all that the stuff that you need. So it really is. He's a Diet Coke Joe Burrow. That's my bet. That's the best way I can put it. Like and and maintaining
3: that accuracy while being off platform as well. Uh, He he was he was a really fun player to watch. Uh, I I know Uh, that
4: Georgia Tech game was like.
3: Yeah, was <laughs> was uh, there was so much uh, to take away just from that game. Uh, and then yeah. you you mentioned Carson Strong earlier. I want to get your thoughts yeah. on Carson Strong, because I feel like uh, he's a guy that we kind of lose in the discussion a little bit, but really fun player to study as well.
4: Yes, uh, awesome player. Like I... I wish I could have played quarterback like how he does like just sitting in that pocket and just dicing guys up. It's, it's fun. Um, That's the thing I mentioned. I alluded to earlier. My biggest negative with him is he's not the greatest athlete. Uh, He's got good pocket movement though. But if you're drafting a guy that's 22, 23, that moves like 44 year old Tom Brady, you're a little, you're a little, yep. you're a little scared. And that's 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 negative with him. He is accurate. You can tell he's got great eyes. Like he is going to the right spot every time. And when he doesn't, he's progressing and he tries to operate from the pocket. His pocket movement's great, like I said before. Um, I think he's got I've been trying to figure out the arm strength a little bit. I, I don't know whether they're called good or above average, like right, that's yep. something that's what I've been kind of torn on him a little bit, which again matters. If you're not going to be able to create with your legs, you your room for error just shrinks even more because then, all right. And if you don't have arm strength, then your room for error shrinks even more and it's, then you have to be perfect with your mind. That's really hard to do, uh, especially at the NFL level. As a young, as a young so yeah. Yep. And so right now I have him as the end of the third round grade and I, I think he'll bump up a little bit for me, but I kind of like where I have him at. Um, I like the player, Like it's one of those things where I like the player, but just that upside ends up being just so capped out for me. That's like this guy. I don't know. I can't see him as the guy for a team. I can see him as like a nice Developmental backup type that you can maybe as a spot starter and trade to somebody, you know, like some of those sure. types that ends up down the road. But it's that's kind of how I see him. But he is a good player. That's there's a lot of those types of quarterbacks. There's a lot of flawed but interesting quarterbacks that are all in the second to fourth round range. And yeah. it's like it's it's eye to beholder at this point. Like there's another guy I just want to give him a shout-out, is Jay nerf from Fresno State, because he's Dude is so much fun, but he's like 185 pounds, and like he's he's a rail. He's tiny as hell, but it, that that guy might be a uh, offense coordinator in the NFL at like age 28 because right. he's just so smart, so smart. It goes with the ball. If that guy was bigger, he would be shooting up my board. But he's just tiny. And but uh, if you ever anyone listening to this gets a shot to watch Fresno State Jake Ayner, he's so much fun. It's like <laughs> he's, that he's Kellen really Moore good. track over the Mountain West to NFL. That's exactly him. <laughs> That's exactly what he is. He is Kellen Moore. Right. He's a right-handed Kellen Moore.
3: Uh, so we spent a lot of time talking about quarterbacks. I do want to ask you one question about the receivers. You guys had four in your top 15 that adds up typically to a pretty strong group. Uh, you guys have Drake London as number one. Uh, is there, first of all, what stands out about London? What gives you faith to put him ahead of guys like Olave and Wilson and and the rest of that group. Um, but just overall thoughts on the wide receiver
4: position in general, in this class loaded, a loaded class. I like this class already as much as I like Devontae Smith. I like chase. I like, uh, all the guys last year, Rashad Bateman. This class has some size. This class is like some ball winners, which is a, guys I always kind of defer to. And um, sorry if you hear that, uh, but it's like, but that—that's what I always kind of like. There's just a nice smattering of different types of guys. It's not slot only receivers. There's a lot of slot only receivers in the class last year. These are like legit receivers. Uh, but with Drake, with, with Drake, it's man, I just see Mike Evans with him, and I was, I was very. The separation stuff is what concerned me, I think, with everybody, with any big right. receiver. They were throwing a lot of back shoulders. They're The quarterback had could really, the the one before he got hurt, could only throw it 40, 45 yards. And so it was like he was having to play in his foot. He was beating guys off the line. Then he had to play in his foot and high, high point the ball. So I was like, okay, so the separation stuff. All right, good. All right. So the next step when you watch a big receiver is how did they turn? How does he turn on a route? How's he how does he feel like coming out, especially out routes? Those are the ones that you can really see it, or curl routes. Those are the two I always look for. Then uh, there's a clip, he has an out route, and it's like against Notre Dame. He has an out route, tight turns, catches it. Then he throws the guy off of him and he's and he plants his forward and cuts north. And I was like, okay, this is my receiver one. It was just like it was just like when you see a big guy moving that fluidly, it's just it's those are scary and those are guys it's so hard to ignore especially as a natural hand kind of guy This catching range he is comfortable catching away from his body you can see the basketball background and he's already young He's already has production and it's just like there's a lot to like with this. And I'm a guy that if you're taking a receiver early, I want size with them. Um, just it's just kind of like my way of building teams. Like Devontae Smith yeah. for yeah. him, Devontae Smith was like my only smaller receiver I've ever had, like <laughs> like that high, because I just love him so much. But that's just kind of how, how I feel with Drake London. I this again, but the guys just after him, Olave, Garrett Wilson. I loved uh Jahan Dotson from Penn State. I, I thought, God, he is dynamic, dynamic player. And again, it's the size stuff that maybe that kind of hurts him for me. But he's such a such a fun player. I think no matter what, he's going to be latch on somewhere and be a useful player. But those that crop of guys is a lot of fun. And then that's not even before you get to Trayvon Burks from Arkansas, who's also a freaking nature. I love
3: Trayvon Burks. So much. I know, <laughs> I know, and
4: I do too. So the thing, my my negative with him is is i mean he's a freak he, he i might just be nitpicking here because he might end up bumping as the season that's <laughs> he's ridiculous the if you ever notice they motion him they do all the stuff i'm curious if they have to tag him on his routes and hmm. tell him what he's doing because when he is not getting the ball or when he's has to be blocked or anything like that he is not there like mentally He's just kind of like hanging out and I might be a little harsh on him. I got, I, I watched two games this year, but that's what's something that cropped up in his last year's tape. And I did the kind of meme, you know, the big dog, little dog meme. Sure. And so I said, Trey, Burks with the ball is the big dog. Traylon Burks without the ball is the little dog. And that's just maybe a competitive thing. That maybe be me nitpicking. That might just be them going like, Hey, you touched the ball 16 times. Take a breath. When you don't have the ball, you got to sort these things out. But that's something that just concerned me a little bit. It was just like, are they just telling you, okay. You get the ball here. Do you do this? Or do you actually know what you're doing? Do you know the whole concept and everything? And that matters. And it's like, yeah, oh, it's a receiver. Who cares? But it's like, no, that matters at the NFL. They're not going to take the time to tag you on every single route. Dude. I was going to so
3: say real quick, can you explain to the listener when you say that, uh, when you say to tag, tag a guy on a route, yeah.
4: uh, what exactly is, are you referring to? So if I call a route, uh, like say I'm just calling a concept, I'll just say sword. That was just an old concept we used run. So I say sword, blah, 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 blah. Trio right, blue sword. Okay. That's that's the concept. Sword is what I'm telling all the receivers, the tight end, and the running back what their routes are. Some guys uh, you can tag, and it's, sometimes it's just the play you want to adjust something. You go sword X glance. So you're telling the X receiver you're now running a glance route, and you guys don't have to know what sword is. Just I'm making up a concept. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so it goes sword X glance. What I think happens with Arkansas is opposed to them, like whatever Traylon's route, routes are, what Burks's routes are, they'll go like sword Traylon. Traylon cross you know they tell him literally what he is running right and Traylon on motion left and then i don't know this is all just theory again i'm just watching it because i just see when he is not the main target and you know it's college offense that a lot of these are just like hey we're getting this guy open give him the ball when you're watching it it's like a lot of times when you can tell he's not getting the ball he does his motion isn't as fast his post snap a authority to block or uh, effort to block is not there so it's just one of the, that That it just concerns me it's just like when you're a big dude I want to see you dominate like that and that's again this might be me nitpicking but again I gave this guy a top 20 grade <laughs> it's not like I hate him too much right. um, it's just that those are that's a concern for me and that, I just I with receivers when you're watching them it's so hard not to just watch only targets it's the stuff when they're not getting the ball that's one of the reasons why I love love Devontae Smith and I still do blocks his ass off um routes where he knows he's just the runoff guy he's running full speed because that matters in the nfl you only get 60 plays and especially at receiver it's 35 40 plays you better make them work like yeah. you might only get six targets so you might better make those 25 30 plays you're on the field you better like positively affect the game otherwise so that's why i always have a concern with some of those types of receivers that maybe don't give that effort and maybe that's just me the old being the old culture football guy and me <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: and it's something that I was an area scout, hopefully can get that kind of information. Uh, you could also get those, those out on whether it's visits or the combine pro day, you know, the, those, yeah. those interactions, uh, try and get to the bottom of some of that. Uh, Nate, Correct. the last question I've got for you, you've been awesome with your time. Who's a guy cause I know this and, you know, you know, working with a, with a scouting staff, every, every team's got that short list of guys who are like, all right, uh, you know, we, we need to uh, work out a running back today. Let's call these three guys. Maybe you haven't done all three guys. And, and so I know, When you've gone through all your quarterbacks, you've gone through running backs, your receivers, you've got a list of guys like, ah, I just couldn't get to this guy yet. Who's a guy that stands out to you? Like, ah, I couldn't get to him, but based off some of the flashes I've seen or or what I've heard, I can't wait
4: to be able to watch. him. Uh, Mine would be that I got to watch one game this past week. And so I, I I was, he was the, he was our last ad on the big board too. I'm glad I got him him. And that was Jameson, uh, Jameson Williams from Alabama. I just need to watch more of him. I, 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 well, only studied him, officially studied, watched every play, like I said, with only one game of him so far. And that's just a guy it's like, he does stuff. <laughs> so it's like, you got to watch it when your receiver is doing the stuff he's doing. It's like, OK, um, my one thing with him is that he's a little bit of a magnet to defenders with the ball in his hands, which is always mm. hilarious to watch The guys yep. that like they panic when they see a defender in front of them. They just go, all right, I could juke left or right. And they just run straight at him right through him, yeah. <laughs> Right through them. They panic in their head. Um, but that's a guy I i need to watch more of. Um, same with Joseph uh, uh Nada from yep. Clemson. Have not studied him to the extent that I want to. Um, and I would say running back wise, I gotta look at some of these guys. I'm looking at my list right now. Robinson again from Alabama, but I think he's more of a role player, that's why I kind of didn't really focus him on uh too much. Um Oh really? Uh Zamir White from Georgia. Right. I got, I got watch him a little bit more. And then quarterback wise, I felt pretty good about who I checked out. Um I still there's a couple of guys I still want to watch more of. Like I want to see more of Tanner McKee. Um I, I was I, I was able to watch two games of him earlier, but I want to watch more. I want to watch more of Bailey Zappi. Yep. Um from Western Kentucky, I I was able to watch one game from him this season and intriguing and it's more like, okay, I gotta circle back on that. But those guys are the ones I would say that stand out uh, as of right now. But that's what's so fun about this. There's probably next time I talk to you, there's gonna be like five more guys that crop up there. You're like, there's hey, always guys this guy? on the
3: list. No matter you might that's watch 300 almost. guys, and it's like, oh, man, I really wish I could have gotten the number 301.
2: Like, yeah. You
4: oh, when Jameson Williams cropped up, I was like, oh man, I, I just watched yeah. Alabama. How did I not even like? I noticed him, but I didn't notice him. Like, it was one of those things where it's like, he's, he, I was, I thought he was a sophomore for some reason. So I was like, I'm not even going to pay attention to him. And also, I was like, oh, he's draft eligible. Oh, okay. Here we go. Like, yeah, it's, uh, it's like you,
3: there's never <laughs> enough time. There's never enough time to there's get involved. Well, we'll see Jamison Williams on the next edition uh, of the the BR 100. Uh, I'm sure. Perfect. Well, uh, Nate, this has been awesome, man. Thanks so much for uh, for sharing some of your time with us. And we'll talk to you next time here on the Journey of the Draft Podcast, presented by Life Brand. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, well, excited to welcome back to the show uh, my good friend, Eric Galco, from the Shrine Bowl to talk through another receiver. We talked to a receiver last week from North Dakota State. This week, we're going to Coastal Carolina to talk about Javon Hiley uh, with the Chanticleers. Eric, tell, tell us about Javen Hiley and what he brings to the NFL.
2: Yeah, I mean, first off, he's a guy that really impressed uh, in 2020 during Coastal Carolina's outstanding, almost undefeated run before losing a Liberty at the end of the year uh, in the bowl game. But um, I think what he he has shown this past year and, and in 2021 for sure is incredibly impressive route running. He is a well-built outside receiver who I think is, if not one of, one of if not the best route runner in college football. And he's been a really impressive player for Coastal Carolina, and especially a favorite of, uh, of quarterback Grayson McCall. Yeah, that's so much offensive success, obviously a disappointing loss
3: uh, last Thursday night, which we talked about this week earlier on the show. But uh, when we talk through
2: highly, give us the scouting report. What is it that uh, he you bring to an NFL receiver room? Yeah, I think he can play, he gets well off press. You know, he's, he's a guy that's built well to play on the outside, but he's not necessarily a, a big physical presence, but he does a great job of getting off press. He can play in the X, he can play in the Z, he can do some slot work. But again, I stress, he is maybe the country's best route runner. I know people look at Chris Olave and do the Keenan Allen comparisons, and Chris Olave is a fantastic route runner as well. I think with highly, the most impressive thing he can do is separate in the short area, using his hands to get off in quick routes. He's a very effective mid-range route, whether it's dig routes, comebacks, Uh, deep post etc of of getting his shoulders around and generating speed and and working downfield or across very very smoothly and then vertically great ball tracking great hands and timing up when he shows hands to finish he's an all-around complete receiver on the perimeter and a guy that again you watch him you're not going to say he's a burner he's not going to be a 4-3 guy that's winning with vertical stretching ability but the ability to be consistently open get separation it's why he's become a favorite of Grayson mccall and actually if you watch their film they're 10 as A likely he's had a couple of huge games this year and he's a great prospect yeah. in his own right but a lot of times that seam is open because teams are kind of shading their outside corner towards highly and shaving their linebackers on cover three and underneath towards highly so I think the, the effect that he brings to an offense like we see with guys like Keenan Allen the NFL who are great route runners is not only can those guys get open but when teams try to adjust for those great separators other players get open too. that's what happens with highly in that offense.
3: You talked about uh, his ability as an intermediate route runner. Um, yeah, to me, like that is one of those separating factors for me when I'm looking at uh, trying to tier route runners in a wide receiver group because there are plenty of guys. Yeah, like you know, maybe they can win in the, in the quick game, uh, but they just don't have that juice to be able to make plays a little bit further down the field. Maybe they've got great juice down the field and you know they run those deep posts really well. They showed that ability to stack receivers on vertical routes, but they're just not super uh, technically proficient in the the quick game or the intermediate area. To me, like when a guy has that ability to win on a comeback route to win on a deep dig uh you certainly need to be able to win in the quick game as well but those are the guys i'm like yeah like uh, th- this guy understands how to weaponize his speed he's got enough juice to be able to work down the field but he's also got uh that technical efficiency to be able to create separation consistently as well
2: yeah i, I think you know a trendsetter already sean mcveigh is showing in his offense how valuable that is we see robert woods and cooper cup winning on those 5 to 15 yard routes consistently i think it's what nfl teams are seeing more is. There was a big rush. and There's still will be a big rush on speed guys, guys who can just get vertically, the Miko Harmons the Tyreek Sills of the world. Those guys are still going to be in vogue and still valuable. But we're seeing more and more that, hey, if you've got enough protection, if you can work those 10, 15-yard routes, it opens up the, inter- the, the screen game. It opens up quicker routes. It opens up vertically when teams try to play underneath and, and you force teams to play more cover two. So all those things are really impactful on an offense. And again, highly is I think the best in college about running those routes as well. And I think he's shown that consistently over the last two years, he's had a mix of very big games. He's had a mix of games where he's just being the first down guy on third and long or third medium. So all those tool sets are there. I think he has a chance to be a real top hundred pick in this year's draft class. Kayvon Hiley,
3: Coastal Carolina, another name to be familiar with here uh, in this 2022 NFL draft. Eric Galco from the Shrine Bowl. Make sure you go follow him on Twitter at Eric Galco. Eric, thanks again for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Thank you, friend. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right. Well, time to shift our attention to week nine in college footballs. I welcome in my buddy, Ben Fennel. Ben, uh, look, we've got a lot to get into today. Uh, we already talked with Nate earlier about uh, the Bleacher Report big board. And we're going to get to that. You and I are going to kind of hash some things out uh, about some of those rankings here later in the segment. But first things first, uh, Mel Kiper from ESPN, he dropped his new big board. We talked about his uh, most recent positional rankings a couple weeks ago here on the show. But just two quick takeaways. So I don't want to dive too deep. Maybe we'll go a little bit deeper into the big board next week. But. New quarterback one and a new wide receiver one for Mel Kuyper. Kenny Pickett elevating himself to QB one for Mel Kuyper. Jamison Williams, the star receiver for Alabama, elevating himself to wide receiver one. So I want to get your thoughts uh, on those two big rise ups there for
1: those two players. Yeah, Kenny Pickett, I think one of the the major winners this year of returning for a super senior season and knocking off Clemson last week, a game that he threw four picks last year in, really rebounded, and he's been on a meteoric rise, and he's just been a steady Eddie type of prospect. And all the other quarterback prospects have had up and down play and really inconsistent and slow, steady Eddie has just been climbing the boards every week, and here we are at QB1, off of a uh, big win. I think this is kind of what we expected. Jamison Williams, people are a little bit behind on because he was a transfer from Ohio State and kind of a name that wasn't on national boards. But he's really one of the best receivers in the country. And we had a chance to watch some of his tape yesterday, Fran. I think we were both pretty impressed. Wide receiver one might be a little bit rich, but I think definitely a top five receiver in this class through and through
3: I think when you're talking about Jamison Williams, I am interested to see what he comes in from a a size standpoint. He's listed six, two, just under 190 pounds. So tall, long, kind of angular frame, kind of a a wiry frame. Uh, But this guy's got some juice for a guy that's that big. And so uh, being able to see him not just take the top off and run vertically, but also get in and out of breaks the way he does. He attacks the football. I don't think one, I don't think a ball hit the ground in the two games that you and I watched yesterday. He's got some savviness to him. So, Really, really impressive player and obviously putting up numbers uh, down there in that Crimson Tide offense. So uh, he's a guy we'll be definitely breaking down further moving forward here on the show. Uh, That said, I want to, like I said at the top, I want to kind of shift our attention to this weekend in college football. So I'll ask you first, uh, one one-on-one matchup that you're most excited to watch here this weekend?
1: Well, I feel like we have to touch on this Michigan-Michigan State showdown, the Big Ten battle of unbeatens, and I think one of the best slates uh, on the weekend, but Kenneth Walker III rising up boards and on the running back rankings all over uh, college football, leading the nation in yards after contact. Well, that Michigan front seven doesn't miss many tackles. They actually have the fewest missed tackles in the Big Ten right now. Aiden Hutchinson, Brad Hawkins at safety is a really good player. Daxon Hill, uh, David Ojabo is getting some attention on the other side of Aiden Hutchinson. It's going to be a battle of tackling and who can uh, bring down Kenneth Walker the third. And we'll see if those speedy receivers on the outside can maybe uh, get over the top, but really fun, undefeated battle in Michigan.
3: Yeah, and Kenneth Walker certainly uh, continues to just build week after week after week. I'm going to talk about this uh, game a little bit in the next segment. So I don't want to dive too deep into my thoughts. I will, however, talk about a former Michigan running back and Zach Charbonnet out West, UCLA. He's been extremely productive for Chip Kelly this season as the starting running back after transferring uh, from Michigan this offseason, going up against Utah. And this Utah defense, you know, they've got some guys in that front seven to watch, namely the senior linebacker, Devin Lloyd, who has uh, has all the physical gifts you're looking for in today's NFL. He's got sideline to sideline range. He's ferocious downhill. I'd like to see him get a little bit better, a little bit more consistent with his eye discipline and his play recognition skills, just understanding where he needs to be on every single play, seeing things before they happen. Uh, That will go a long way towards him kind of reaching that ceiling, Uh, but he's got all the tools. And so uh, I'll tell you what, Charbonnet is a bigger back, Lloyd's, a, uh, you know, he's a pretty physically imposing linebacker. Those two meeting in the hall uh, will be uh, some fun TV uh, to go to go back and watch later on for sure.
1: Yeah, really good battle out
3: there out west. All right, let's get to our most to gain. Who's a player that could really benefit from a strong performance here uh, this week? I'll let you go first here.
1: So I really want to see a breakout performance from Texas linebacker Demarvin Overshone, who's a converted safety. He's been playing that will linebacker position at Texas for two years now. They play Baylor. Baylor 6-1, and one, and overshone has got kind of a three-headed monster this week. He's got a power back in Abram Smith at 220. He's got kind of a scat back, a pass-catching back in Tristan Ebner to cover out of the backfield. And Fran, Baylor's center, Jacob Gall, is really quietly one of the better centers in college football. He's a Buffalo transfer, played left guard last year, paving the way for Jared Patterson, our good buddy, uh, Coyote Awasika, who is a left tackle out there at Buffalo. Really good player. Transferred over to Baylor playing center, Jacob Gall at center, Ebner catching passes out of the backfield, Abraham Smith, Abram Smith, excuse me, is the downhill kind of bulldog, DeMarvin Overshawn is going to have his hands full, so big performance, I'm really expecting at him.
3: Yeah, he's a a really interesting player. I mean, when we talk about, like, those overhang, like, uh, uh, nickel-sam players, I mean, that's kind of the role that he has played in the past. He's a converted safety. He's, like, 6'4", in that 220-pound range. Freak show athlete, but... Those same questions that we have about those guys making that transition to more of a stacked role—that uh, will be the question here with Overshawn. Uh, and I will get to a, a similar kind of linebacker, but a guy that's just got more reps from a stacked, posi- stacked position. And that's Florida State's Amari Gainer uh, going up against Clemson. Florida State, Clemson—always a good one. I know both teams uh, going through some struggles right now, but I think that that's always going to be a big one when you turn on Florida State. And you're like, all right, how do you perform against Clemson? Solid rivalry game. Uh, trying to go up against that front seven and our sorry that offensive front and all the different things that they're doing from a misdirection standpoint. Amari Gainer, interesting game here uh, for him going up against the Clemson Tigers. Uh, let's go now to our prospects after dark. A, a guy who's playing in a game, again, I'm going to set the start time 7.30pm or later that you want to be able to profile. Uh, I'll go first here with this one. And uh, One team that you can almost always see at this time of night when you come back, uh, maybe you know the kids are put to bed, it's time to sit down and, and take in some college football. Fresno State going up against san diego state 10 30 on cbs sports network so this is even like all right not only are the kids to bed, but you have a little date night uh, with the wife or with the husband, and it's like, all right, it's time to get down. Now I can finally watch some football. You can turn on Fresno State. Now, we, we've talked about the running back, Ronnie Rivers, uh, and some of the things that he's been able to do over the course of his career. He's been extremely productive, both as a runner and as a pass catcher. But the quarterback, Jake Haner has been making some noise this year in his final season on campus. It started back in week week zero, and he's continued to just keep build week after week after week. So keep an eye on Jake Haner. who, look, this quarterback class from a senior standpoint, it's not it's not really deep. I think once you get past those first four or five guys, it's like, all right, who, who are some of these other names? And I feel like Hayner is a guy that has really started to kind of uh, make his presence felt in that co- in that senior quarterback group. I think Hayner, he's going to end up at one of these big all-star games for certain. So uh, certainly a name to keep an eye on here this Saturday night.
1: All right, Fran, just casually gloss over San Diego State 7-0, one of the <laughs> hot teams in college football, Cameron Thomas. Is the Mountain West version of Aiden Hutchinson. All right, I'm putting that there right now. He's 6'5, 270, plays all over the place. You've been and talking about him for a long time. Top five in QB pressures in college football. Just nobody watches San Diego State because they're on at 1 a.m., you know, out in the West Coast. But um, I love looking at the independent teams for him, particularly BYU. Their schedule is so much fun. I highlighted their game against Baylor two weeks ago. They played Virginia this week. And there's a really fun battle of top-level centers of this game, two centers in my top 15. I put out a top 30 the other day on Twitter. A lot of good centers in college football. But BYU, James MP, four-year starter. He had an in- injured ankle last year, so he really didn't capitalize on the Zach Wilson, Brady Christensen, kind of meteoric rise season. He returned for his super senior season. He's looking much better, much healthy. And then Virginia's got a really good player in Olu Oluwatimi. At center, he's an Air Force transfer, but he's been playing center for three years there. No sacks allowed all of last year. Put on his tape against Ali McNeil in 2020. I thought he shut him down as good as any interior guy in combo in college football. Really good combo block. So two really fun centers out there. If you're watching a uh, BYU and Virginia elite. I like it. Uh, so, yeah, and that's, it's always good to be able to see some of those ACC teams that
3: go out west or an SEC team that goes out west. Now you get the opportunity to be able to watch them a little bit later uh, on Saturday night. Let's get now uh, into a game that we're excited to go back and watch a little bit later because we know the, the limitations of being able to watch on TV at times. I'll let you go first with this
1: one. So there's two uh, battles in the Big Ten I kind of had my eyes on. I want to see Arnold Epikady against the Ohio State tackles particularly Nicholas Petit-Friere, who's been at left tackle, as a right tackle last year. Um, but Tyler Linderbaum, center at Iowa, probably has his best test of the season so far against these big Wisconsin nose tackles. And that starts with Keanu Benton up front, typically starts at nose tackle, and then they work in like Matt Henningson and uh, Isaiah Mullins and some other guys in there that are just corn-fed, country-strong type of dudes up there. So Linderbaum's going to have his hands full, and everybody knows – don't let Linderbaum take over the game. Don't let him fire off the ball and clean up your linebackers and set that tone. So, you know, Wisconsin's going to be uh, buckling the chin straps and ready to battle.
3: Linderbaum is one of those players that he, like, he, he is a weapon for Iowa's offense, right? I mean, they're, like, there's he's one of those offensive linemen that, uh, as a when you're watching film, you're like, that yeah, like, this, this guy's just not your typical offensive lineman.
1: The, the way that they use him, uh, he really kind of makes that offense go. And just remember, Tyler Linderbaum, really good high school wrestler. He's got that pancake of Tristan Wirfs uh, that's been all over social media. Keanu Benton, nose tackle Wisconsin. He's got a wrestling background himself. He was a division one runner up in high school, 48 and two record at 285. So he's a guy that knows how to battle and play that leverage game up top. Really fun battle in the trenches. All right, well, I'm going to take us back to the ACC. Uh, for
3: quarterbacks, uh, I always like going back and see how they do against more, some of the more difficult defensive schemes. And Marcus Freeman, the new defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, previously with Cincinnati, uh, what he's doing from a pressure standpoint, uh, all the guys they've got up front, they will be missing Kyle Hamilton this week here at Notre Dame, but big test regardless for North Carolina quarterback Sam Howell. Uh, we know about some of the issues that that they're facing down in North Carolina. They're breaking in a whole new set of offensive skill players and some new offensive linemen as well. Uh, when you look at Sam Howell, the production has been kind of up and down this season, but I think overall, this will be one of his bigger tests to date, even without Kyle Hamilton, that Notre Dame defense, they still have plenty of teeth. They're going to try and come in from every single angle. So going back and watching this game for Sam, Howell, from a Sam Howell standpoint will be interesting. Also good to note, Uh, That's another nighttime start. It's a 7.30 start time over on NBC. So some Saturday Night Football action uh, over on NBC this weekend. Make sure you go check that out, North Carolina and Notre Dame. Uh, All right, let's get into some player comps. Uh, We're going to use an NFL comparison to profile a prospect uh, taking the field this weekend. I'll let you kick things off.
1: Well, let's dive into some SEC cornerbacks here. I I had a chance to watch Martin Emerson Jr., who's been the left corner at Mississippi State the past two years. He's a really interesting player, friend. He's about 6'2", 200 pounds. He is a big, tall, thick, kind of leggy corner out there. He has a Jalen Ramsey-like temperament in the flat. Hmm. I think that's a little rich, though, of a comparison. Jalen Ramsey's a pretty special player. Yep, sure. But I think a couple tweaks away, he reminds me a lot of Trayvon Diggs at Alabama. Wow. He's that style of corner, heavy, leggy, a little clunky and stuck in the mud, getting in and out of breaks, but good ball skills, really good physicality. And I think Trayvon Diggs is impressing everybody with this season with the Cowboys so far that that's not a, a negative or any sort of knock on him. So 6'2", 200, physical, a guy that I think can be a force player in the flat has some ability to play press man. They play a variety of coverages Mississippi State. It'll be press man one play, then that off kind of side saddle with his eyes in the backfield. I have some issues in bolts and some technique lapses, but he's big, he's fast, he's got ball skills. And at the end of the day, Fran, he just plays nasty out there. And any you have a corner like that, we can find a spot for him.
3: It's funny, I I know you studied him yesterday and I was going through my notes last night uh, on him, just preparing to watch him for the first time here in the coming days. And he was actually first popped on my radar because one of his former teammates uh, gave me the heads up back in March of 2020. Brian Cole, I uh, remember the former uh, Mississippi State safety uh, previously with uh, Michigan State. Uh, he kind of put him on my radar and he was like, this is a guy you're going to be talking about in the future. He's got great length. He's got great size. Uh, he's got an outstanding work ethic as well. So uh, good scouting uh, there from Brian Cole. Give us a heads up there a couple years in advance on Martin Emerson. Uh, I will stick in the SEC and I'm going to go to a player um, that. Look, he's he's been in some round one mock drafts. I know our friend Dane Brugler is really high on this player. I know Mel Kuyper is high on this player. Roger McCreary from Auburn, six foot. One hundred and ninety pounds. Uh, this guy, and you talked in the, in the past Ben about how he kind of got baptized a little bit going through that SEC gauntlet of wide receivers over the years. Whether it's the Jamar Chase's and Justin Jefferson's in twenty nineteen, or even going back to last year with Jalen Waddle and uh, and Devonte Smith and that group with Alabama, just through the through the throughout the entire SEC, just littered with great receivers. But I think that that has definitely paid dividends. Watching him this year, this guy is a well-rounded corner. Six foot, 190 pounds. He's got solid size. He's got really good feet. He's got a feel for playing in press. He's got really good feel from playing from off. Just a good athlete. Really good man-to-man corner. He's got he's competitive in press. He's competitive in the run game. He's a really short tackler. He rarely misses uh, coming downhill. The ball production is just okay. But I think this guy is a really impressive, just a, a cover corner through and through. A really physical, competitive nature. To what to the way he plays. And when you look at all the boxes that he checks, paired with the the athletic profile, the size profile, he reminds me a lot of Stefan Gilmore when Gilmore was coming out of South Carolina and he was Gilmore. I don't know how much you remember back in, uh, I believe this was 2012 when Gilmore came out, that was the year with Mo Claiborne, Drake Kirkpatrick. Those were the guys all like this time of year is like, Oh, Mo Claiborne's gonna be a top five pick, uh, Drake Kirkpatrick right behind him. He's gonna be a top 10 pick. And as the season went on as, said, and as the pre-draft process went on, it was like, Oh yeah, like this guy, Stefan Gilmore is really good. He's, and all of a sudden, Now he's one of the top corners drafted uh, and Gilmore became the best of the three. Obviously he he's a Roger McCreary is a really impressive player. And the more I watched the more I was like, man, this guy is just really, really solid across the board. Maybe not elite in any one area, but he's really, really good everywhere. And so to me uh, that makes for a really
1: impressive corner. I mean, when you're watching the sec corners on a weekly basis, it's essentially like an all-star game. You're facing NFL talent on a week-to-week basis. You're going to get beat. You're going to get beat over the top. You're going to get about catches. Some really good players, the best of the best out there at receiver that you're covering on a week-to-week basis. You just have to really evaluate the full body of work, understand they're going against top competition, and really sit back and weigh their skill set and say, you know what? I know they got beat, but I always think, Fran, and we talk about a lot to learn on the job position. I think that experience is better, you know, in the long run. No question. And
3: being able to see him make that
1: make that jump, make that rise, I think is really
3: important for uh, for his projection as well. All right, let's wrap it up with our big board breakdown. We had Nate Tyson to talk about Bleacher Report's big board. Uh, so I thought, you know, th- why don't today, you and I kind of just ha- hash this out a little bit. Great job by this entire group. And, and we talked about it when they first did it back in the spring for the 2021 draft. Um, but I love that the Bleacher Report brings this group of guys together and they're not afraid to go against the grain. And so they were, they were very, uh, you know, they were very adamant on their rankings back in the spring. And the group is Nate Tice, Brandon Thorne, Derek Classen, uh, Corey Giddings, and Brent Sobleski. Those guys did a great job putting this together. Uh, it will be a lot of fun to break down. So I thought let's go through the top 10 first. And I just want to get your biggest surprise. Number one, Kayvon Thibodeau. No shock there, the pass rusher from Oregon. Number two, Purdue pass rusher, George Karlaftis. Number three, NC State offensive tackle, Ike McQuanu, Number four, Iowa center, Tyler Linderbaum. We, oh, these are guys that we've been talking about all all uh, all fall, all summer, so it's been great to be able to see, like, yeah, like, all right, we're, we're, we're talking about the guys that are going to be in the top five, top ten of a lot of people's minds here. Evan Neal, the tackle from Alabama, number five. Jordan Davis, the, t- the nose tackle from Georgia at number six. Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan at number seven. Derek Stingley at eight. Drake London, the USC wide receiver at number nine. And Kyle Hamilton, the Notre Dame safety at number ten. So, Ben, from those 10, your biggest surprise here?
1: Um, None, really, honestly. I think Drake London finding his way into the top 10 overall is a bit of a surprise for me, being the receiver one. Um, But I think a lot of these names are kind of the names we've been talking about consensus-wise. A lot of trench players, um, and I think that's kind of the way this draft is trending.
3: Yeah, Carl is at two, I think, is interesting. Uh, you know, I don't know that anyone else has Equano at number three overall uh, in this class, certainly ahead of Evan Neal. I think that that's interesting. We love the work that Brandon Thorne does, so that definitely carries weight. Uh, just it, it is great to see, like, all right, they, 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 a lot of the guys that we've been kind of, like, hammering uh, throughout the fall. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun seeing these guys up this high.
1: How many draft classes have we seen a center viewed in the way that Tyler Linderbaum has been viewed? And Now, we've had Quentin Nelson's and elite level guards and maybe some guards we didn't feel great about like Jonathan Cooper's and you know people like that and we've had. You know nose tackles and we've had centers go in the first round, but talking in the top five overall a Center. When was the last time? Can you think any names here, friend? I can't
3: off the top of my head. Now it is important to note that uh, the difference between just for our listeners, like uh, what they'll say, is that hey, this is a big, this is our big board versus a, a mock draft, and, and that is important uh, for us to note. Uh, you know, I know that those guys had Landon Dickerson extremely high uh, in their big board last year. But it's, that doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, yeah, we expect him to go in the top 10. I don't know if that's the way they feel about Lindenbaum or not. We'll see if this group uh, puts out a mock draft uh, down the road, and we'll kind of see and get a better sense of that. But, uh, yeah, to your point, I mean, I don't know the, when the last time is that uh, we've, we've seen it. I guess it would be. <sighs> um, the kid from Al- Ryan Kelly uh, from Alabama a few years back. That probably yeah, I'm just one. going
1: through and trying to see if I could quickly find when the top center was taken here, but you know, yeah, we had Ryan Kelly, we had rag now going the first round, you no know, Billy prices of the world. Marquise Pouncey was a mid round pick as well. A lot of guys go in the mid to back end of round one, even going back to like the Nick Mangles of the world and Chris. Spencer's, yep. Seems like once you get through that halfway, of the first round teams are much more willing to. I'm quickly going down through 2003 and, you know, Jeff Fain went 21st overall. Damian Woody, 17th overall, into playing a lot of guard in the NFL. We could be looking at the highest drafted guard in Tyler Linderbaum potentially ever. Yeah, that will
3: be certainly something to watch here uh, as we get into the offseason. Let's get through the quarterback position where, uh, as you like to say, QB Boggle. And we've got it. So another source. Another set of QB rankings here. Uh, number one, QB one for these guys. Des- and we, we talked about this earlier with Nate, uh, but just kind of rehashing with you. Desmond Ritter at number one, Matt Corral at number two, Kenny Pickett at number three, Malik Willis at number four, Spencer Rattler there at five, with Sam Howell at six. Uh, any thoughts uh, really on the on that group of quarterbacks and the, the pecking order there?
1: Um, no, I think QB one and Desmond Ritter, that's probably a surprise to a lot of us. Kenny Pickett sitting there in the top five is Appropriate with Howell kind of taking a back seat. Matt Corral sitting there at QB2, I don't think is going to change a whole lot.
3: Yeah. Yeah, he, he's a guy I feel like uh, a lot of people are going to feel confident in in that two or three hole because uh, a lot of these guys have had some up and down play this season. And Malik Willis has had his great moments, and then he's had not so great games. Uh, you look at, obviously, Spencer Rattler's been up and down. Sam Howell's been uh, a little bit up and down. Desmond Ritter has been a little bit up and down. But Corral and Kenny Pickett have kind of been the, those steady presences uh, throughout the course of this season so far. Uh, let's go to the offensive line position where uh, you and I respect the hell out of Brandon Thorne and the work that he does. Uh Eke McQuanu, number one offensive lineman. Linderbaum, number two. Evan Neal, number three. All those guys were in the top 10. After that group, you had Charles Cross, the Mississippi State left tackle, as his fourth offensive lineman. Kenyon Green from Texas A&M as number five. Zion Johnson uh, from Boston College at six. Bernard Raymond uh, from Central Michigan. He was in the top 30 prospects overall as the seventh offensive lineman off the board. Trevor Penning at eight. Daniel Fa'alele from Minnesota at number nine. And then Nicholas petit Frere from Ohio State, you mentioned him earlier, at number 10. Uh, big takeaways from that group.
1: Yeah, I think the top five, top six there, as expected. Charles Cross really having a good season, really improved a lot of his play strength. Kenyon Greens, Zion Johnson. And then it's getting into the, the major risers whether it's Mm. Bernhard Raymond, who's the foreign kid, tight end, the tackle, Trevor Penning, FCS, Northern Iowa. Daniel Falele is a little bit different, just being 400 pounds out there. So uh, Minnesota, so you get a little bit unconventional uh, after those first five or six, but those are some of the really good uh, offensive linemen in college football.
3: Was there a a ranking that was surprising to you from like a, uh, oh man, like I can't believe this, this was the top guy on the board at a specific position? Well, I think Aquanu
1: at, you know, uh, offensive lineman number one over Linderbaum over Evan Neal uh, is something we haven't seen, but it also made me take a step back and say, edge one, corner one, safety one, Feeling those aren't going to change a whole lot. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, through a lot of boards. So as much as I'm looking at which ones surprise me, I'm also taking note of the ones that I don't think have changed and probably won't change for the next six hmm. months
3: was there a guy and there's all because anytime a new big board comes out or someone's top 10 position rankings come out i'm like all right where are some of my favorite players and then it's like oh yeah they love this guy just as much as i do uh was there a a fist pump ranking a guy that uh just made you you know really kind of jump out of your seat a little bit
1: when you saw a guy ranked very highly no just the fact that the receiver group that five out of the 15 fran yeah from the group of five. Yep. So I just love that it's not taking the low-hanging SEC fruit or the low-hanging who's on TV every Saturday. Mm. You have Jalen Tolbert and Khalil Shakur and Jalen Cropper and Romeo Dobbs, and five out of his top 15 receivers are non-Power 5 players. Yep, There is some really good pass catchers and explosive weapons around college football, particularly in Group of 5 and beyond. I just love that they cast a wide net and really give everybody an opportunity to crack their board and to be draftable players,
3: and I think it speaks too to you know just the scouting report segment we do with Eric Galco every week. The last two weeks, he's talked about receivers that he feels have a good shot to go in day two. So you know the top 100 picks, one from North Dakota State, one from Coastal Carolina. So again, kind of getting into that non-power five uh, group of talent, uh, plenty of talent all over the country at the wide receiver position. It was
1: great to see him uh, extended invite, accepted invite to Josh Johnson out there at Tulsa, yep. who was a power five transfer, but now he's. Sir that is group of 5 home at Tulsa really improved player as well nice to see him get an invite
3: uh my fist bump ranking by the way george carlaftis it too cuz I, I love carlaftis uh you know we talked about you know, Hutchinson hutchinson's going to be we're going to we're going to be seeing hutchinson in more top 10s of mock drafts we were saying that a few weeks ago and i was saying too like carlaftis like we're going to start to see carlaftis go up rise up uh, mock drafts well, give speed. me a,
1: give me a snapple cap uh Case for why you take Carl laftus over Hutchinson in a Snapplecap Snapple Cap case. I just want a line or two. Not I don't even know el- if I've ever heard
3: Snapple Cap case. I, like I just that.
1: made that up because we don't have time for an elevator speech. <laughs> so, Snapple Cap, you get two lines.
3: All right, all right. Uh, <laughs> I would say when I look at Carlafis and the, the the one major difference, I would say um, I see a little bit more power, uh, consistent power from Carl Laftus in terms of uh, his ability to just consistently push people backwards, and he's also and this goes from a, a younger age the ability to string multiple moves together. His pass rush plan was so advanced at that young of an age. At 6'4", 275, to be that strong, that powerful, and that advanced technically, uh, that's what really got me excited about Carl Laftus more so than Hutchinson. And Hutchinson had a gra- has had a great year, obviously. Uh, but that's why, for me, Carl Laftus and Hutchinson, uh, that's what gives me the edge.
1: I feel like Carl Laftus is now known as the disruptor on his defensive line the last two years. Yep. He really has to be craft and how he reads slide protections, how he plays off of chippers, needs to have two, three moves, counter moves if he wants to be productive because they circle him and say, don't let him ruin the game. Uh, and I feel like Hutchinson is a little bit more deeper of a front seven. Sometimes he doesn't get the attention. He gets a lot more one-on-ones, in my opinion. Um, yeah, so Carl laptus I think, is really NFL ready.
3: They have uh, only one linebacker and looks like in the top 40. And that linebacker is Christian Harris uh, from Alabama. So uh, just kind of speak, you and I have talked about this uh, offline a little bit, trying to find who are those linebackers in this group? uh, Who are the guys that are going to really kind of, uh, you know, be a guy that could come in day one, day two, uh, and be able to offer uh, immediate impact. Harris, for sure, I I view from Alabama uh, as that kind of player. I think he's got all the traits you're looking for. Uh, We talked a little bit about Devin Lloyd, um, you know, and some of the the reservations there. Uh, But the next guy on that group for them, So you had two right in a row at 41 and 42. It was Lloyd was 42, Brandon Smith from Penn State at number 41. And he is another guy that's just extremely athletic, really rangy, really versatile skill set. But it's a matter of uh, making that transition to more of a stacked role after being a more uh, more of a nickel Sam over the last couple of years. So, uh, Ben, fun as always going through uh, these big boards and these mock drafts. We'll be back early next week. To break down Week Nine in college football, myself, you, and Dane will be right, we'll be back right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by Life Brand.
4: Now it's time for Pick Six.
3: All right, well, time to wrap the show up with pick six as I welcome in Ross Tucker. And I feel like we need to add in like some fanfare music, like some excitement level. I know that not everybody in in, uh, your, in your neck of the woods, Ross, is excited about what I'm about to say, but we hit on our first upset of the year, the upset special. We've been so close every single week. And finally, one of them hits, and it's with your Nittany Lions, uh, the Illini with the longest game in college football history, nine overtimes. You called it last week right in this segment, Ross. Uh, I gave you three points on that one. Otherwise, we tied last week. We went head-to-head across the board. Uh, each of us had a couple of wins. We had, to, we were on the same side
0: on, all the, on the others. Uh, but just a, a big call, great call on your part. And by the way, what's crazy about that is all of these games, you know, we're looking for upset specials, double digit underdogs. Uh, Illinois was really a heavy underdog. I mean, they were a heavy underdog and my logic wasn't even good. My (laughs) logic was I didn't think Sean Clifford would play. I thought it'd be one of the backup quarterbacks. And I thought, "Eh, I guess Illinois has a chance with a backup quarterback. Clifford ended up playing. He didn't play well. He didn't look healthy. They didn't run him at all. Um, but Illinois got it done. And you're right. Nobody's happy at all. In fact, everybody's very, very unhappy. Yeah. uh, Not, not a, um, a shock that uh, James Franklin was asked about, you know,
3: USC and other interests and other jobs. And he's like, look, my focus is on Illinois. Well, they're playing Ohio state this week. Uh, (laughs) My my focus is still on Illinois. The the Freudian slip there. Not too surprising with how that, that discussion has gone in this state. That said, Let's turn our attention to this week, Ross. We'll see if you can keep this up. You now have a five-game lead on me after hitting on that upset this week. So I've got a lot of ground to cover. We'll see if I can do it starting this week. We're going to start with our pick them We're going to go to the Big 12 here, close one, Texas and Baylor. Who do you like here uh, between these two teams in the Big 12?
0: Yeah, I'll go Texas. I, I just think they have more talent than does Baylor. And uh, Now Dave Aranda is starting to get his name thrown out there with USC and LSU, the Baylor head coach. Give me the Longhorns. I, I think that they are talented enough, mature enough to get this done. Yeah, I
3: like Texas here in this one as well. Uh Bijan Robinson, the, the sophomore running back, is going to be the best player on the field. Uh, Texas, you know, I feel like obviously they've had a little bit of up and down here in Steve Sarkeesian's first season, um, but I do like them here in this game. Baylor's playing better of late, uh, and that's why Dave Aranda starting to get some buzz, uh, but I think overall I like the Horns here in this one. Let's now go out west. We've got Washington. We've got Stanford. Who do you like here in the Pac-12, Ross? So Washington or uh, the Stanford Cardinal?
0: I'm going to go Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched, I think it was, was it last Friday night that Arizona played Washington? Yep. Washington's not very good. They're not, not man. I, don't I know. I know what's happened to Washington, but they're not very good. Yeah. Arizona's not good at all. And Washington couldn't put them away. They got the young Heward kid playing. Give me Stanford. Yeah, Tanner McKee uh, playing very well
3: for the Cardinal. I was hoping to kind of lure you in there with a Washington W, but uh, as always, you are on top of your game. Uh, You will take uh, the Cardinal, and I will side uh, with David Shaw and Stanford in this one as well. Again, Tanner McKee, uh, the sophomore quarterback, playing well out West. All right, let's go to our over-under, the number this week. Three-and-a-half passing touchdowns for Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman taking on the Duke
0: Blue Devils. What do you like here, Ross? What do you like? Do you like the over three and a half or the under? Well, I like the over because I called the Wake Forest Army game on Saturday and Wake Forest had 10 touchdowns. <laughs> now I don't know how many Sam Hartman threw. I don't remember, but he is very good. You know, Fran, I don't know how much you've studied Wake Forest, but they do something that nobody else in college, or NFL does their mesh point. Yeah, it's awesome. Their ride. It's like two seconds. Yep. It's there's nothing else like it. He's making multiple reads while he can still hand the ball off. It, it's like triple option football. It is rare that you can say somebody has invented something in the sport of football Warren Ruggiero, the o- the offensive coordinator for Wake Forest, he invented something. I don't know why more teams don't do it. It works. It's Does it genius. give you anxiety as an offensive lineman though? Like do you like are you
3: watching that just like cringing like oh my god, the ball's got to get out uh, or somebody's going to get killed here?
0: Well, What really bothers me is watching the offensive linemen not fire off the ball at all. Sure, they can't. It's like they're not even – you're so, like, entrenched from little, you know, midgets on up. You come off the ball. You fly off the ball. They're not doing that at all. Yeah. Not at all. It's almost like extra point blocking. But they stay on the double teams. They let the running backs bring the linebackers to them. I mean – It's working. They really only hand it off when the pass isn't there. Anyway, I'll go over. Um, I think Wake Forest is going to put up a ton of points on Duke. and I think there's a decent chance Hartman has four touchdown passes or more. I've got friends on both coaching staff, so I'm torn here with this one.
3: Uh, I feel like my heart says over. But I also don't want to pick the same as you because I need to, I need to make up some ground here in the next month and a half. So uh, I will take the under. I don't feel great about it, but uh, we'll bank on my friends on the, on the Duke coaching staff to, on the defensive side uh, to come through for me here. I'll, I will take the under uh, for Sam Hartman on the, his touchdown passes in this game. Let's go to the next one here. Uh, these are always fun. An either or: which is the bigger number? NC State's margin of victory over the Louisville Cardinals, or Iowa State's margin of victory
0: over West Virginia. Who do you like here and why? I like Iowa State and their margin over West Virginia. And it's really pretty simple. I just think Louisville is a decent amount better than West Virginia. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think Louisville's got a decent team. West Virginia is not great. And so I got more faith in Louisville keeping it close than I do West Virginia. Interesting. Uh, To me, I'm looking at this like which which of these
3: four teams – do I feel best about it? I'm going to keep riding with NC State. They they've done me well over these last couple of weeks here in this segment. Uh, so I will stick with the Wolfpack. That run game, that offensive line, uh, so much fun. We talk about them all the time. Obviously, we talk about Eka Makwaniu at left tackle and uh, just what they do offensively. I will go NC State. Um, kind of a, a little bit of opposite logic uh, from the way that you looked at it. But, and I get, but I totally get uh, why you went the way that you did. And Iowa State, they're starting to play a little bit better as well after a slow start. Let's go to our next one here. Our high low. We're going to look at this Big Ten matchup, Michigan and Michigan State. So I ask you, what is the higher number in this one? Michigan State running back Kenneth Walker, who's going to be—he's on the—he's on the Heisman list right now. I got to say, uh, if you're if are putting four, or five, four or five guys out in New York, hard pressed to think that Kenneth Walker is not one of those players. His yards per carry here in this game, or the Michigan Wolverines' margin of victory. Which number is higher in your mind, Ross Tucker?
0: Yeah, I'm going to go I'm going to go Kenneth Walker's yard per carry. Now, I went back and forth on this. Yeah, so, Obviously, uh-huh. he's really good. Yep. I think Michigan's the better team, but I wouldn't be like shocked if Michigan State won. Yep. And even if they lose, I think it's a close game. I got a lot of faith in what Mel Tucker, my brother from another mother, has done so far this year with the Spartans. So, I'll go Walker's yard per yard per carry, but It could very easily be four or five yards, and Michigan could win by seven. So I've kind of gone both ways. Uh, I went back and forth on this one as well.
3: And I'll tell you what, man, like obviously that Michigan offense is is getting some love for what they're doing, but that defense uh, is really performing well. Uh, I'm going to go with the Wolverines' margin of victory here. Uh, And the reason being just that that defense is playing at such a high level. Even if, if, like you said, uh, if if Michigan can eke out a six-point victory, I feel like, all right, if they can keep them to – 4.8 4.8 carry uh, right, that I'm going to take home the dub. So I will go with the Wolverines here in this game. Now let's see if you can follow this up here, Ross, our upset special. We're going to pick one to win. You got the one that last week. Let's see if, uh, if you can get another one here.
0: Yeah. I thought long and hard about UTEP over FAU. I saw FAU in person last Thursday night. They were pretty impressive, but I still thought long and hard about UTEP who's had a pretty good season. I'm going to go with a big game, though. Ooh. I'm going to go with the Florida Gators. Wow. Wow. Over over Georgia. (laughs) Yes. Georgia is a really good team. There's a reason why this is an upset special, and Florida's a heavy underdog. But it is hard to go undefeated in the SEC. It is hard. And this game is the Gators' Super Bowl. The Gators can make up for a disappointing year, by winning this game, Florida was right there with Alabama. I'm going Gators on my upset special. And yeah, you were starting to smell yourself after that
3: one after from last week. I, I like it. I like it. Uh, I'm going to go. And maybe look, uh, maybe uh, this is the Homer and me talking uh, central Florida is really good and they're playing very well. Uh, they're traveling up to Lincoln financial field to take on the temple owls this week. Uh, I like Temple in this one. They've had some success against UCF, especially up here at the link. Uh, I, I'll, I'll take Temple here uh, in this one. I don't feel great about some of these other ones. There are a lot of tough games, a lot of tough matchups here, uh, but I will go with the Temple Owls. I think the only time I'm pick, I've picked them uh, to win in any segment in this show uh, all season long, uh, but I will go with TU here. We'll see if they can, uh, if my alma mater can come through for me. Uh, well, Ross, we will see, man. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. You were the first person I thought of uh, once uh, Illinois was able to finish it. Mixed, mixed emotions, obviously, on your end, but uh, big-time win there for the Illini. Big-time pick uh, from you last week. We'll see if you can keep it rolling.
0: Yeah, I was going to text you after it happened. I thought I will talk about it soon enough. I can I can gloat on the air. <laughs> exactly. Well, Ross, good stuff. We will talk to you next week right
3: here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Well, great stuff this week from Nate Tice, from Ben Fennel, from Eric Galco, and Ross Tucker. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show. We will be back. Early next week, myself, Dane Brugler, Ben Fennel, another member of the Eagles scouting staff next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.